Uh, oftentimes, our expression of loyalty um, become love for something and then dislike or hostility towards other things. And uh, for example, especially in Boston, this is a big one, right? Uh, Dunkin' Donuts, if you don't know, is from Boston. Is from, the first store was in Quincy, Massachusetts. And Dunkin' Donuts, avid Dunkin' Donut lovers will even wear t-shirts that say, friends don't let friends drink Starbucks. Another example of uh, brand loyalty is, uh, what about this one? This one almost automatically produces hostility. How many of you have iPhones? And how many of you are are on the dark side? Um, (laughs) It's so natural for us to want to believe that what we have or what we're affiliated is better than the other thing or uh, what what we have can be loved and what we don't have or dislike can be hated on. And in, in a lot of ways, uh, and you know, these are small examples, we enter into the eighth week of our Sermon on the Mount series uh, that we've titled The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. Um, and Jesus gets to talk about love for enemies. Love for enemies. In the Sermon on the Mount, we've learned that it's a call and a description of all the followers of Jesus. What do Christians look like? We start to see a picture of what God's kingdom looks like, what its citizens start to look like. So today our passage uh, is Matthew 5, uh, the last portion of it, verses 43 to 48. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. If you don't have your Bibles, you can read along with me on the screen. Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's lift a quick prayer together before we dig in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the body. Uh, that we can gather. We thank you for the space that you provide. We thank you that you want intimate relationship with us and you care about every part of our lives. You care about how we look at this world. You care about how we treat one another. And even as we look at this passage about loving our enemies, we thank you in advance that you remind us that all of life is discipleship even our attitude and behavior and expressions towards those we may not like. So strengthen us during this time. May our hearts be fertile soil, that we may be able to hear your voice and yours alone. Anything that needs to uh, be forgotten at this point, we pray that it will fall, uh, fall to the wayside and you will shine through. You'll be at the center of all that we uh, think and do 
sing and, and meditate upon. So during this time, we pray that we would become more like the children that you have always, always wanted us to be. We thank you so much, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the first time in the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about love. And that's surprising to us, or it should be surprising to us, because we've gone through all of the Beatitudes. We've talked about being salt and light. And it seems like we've talked a lot about negative emotions, haven't we? We've talked about anger, retaliation, and, and today we get to loving our enemies. We might have expected Jesus to talk about love that we should have for God, or the love that we should have for one another within the community of faith. But instead, Jesus chooses to talk about love for enemies. And I believe that Jesus talks about this because it's so central to this gospel message, this new kingdom that he has come to inaugurate here on earth and that we get to reap the benefits of today. So through this passage, I just want to look at two things. The first is that Jesus gives us a command. Jesus gives us a command. And secondly, Jesus gives us a motivation for that command. First, Jesus gives us a command. We must love our enemies. We must love our enemies. Verse 43, there's no question about it. He is talking about a teaching that his listeners were very familiar with. Verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. While the command to love your neighbor was uh, for a fact, in Leviticus uh, 1918, the addition of hate your enemy was actually not from the Bible at all. It was an uh, addition to the original command, a misinterpretation of, of the believers at Jesus' time. Nowhere in Scripture are God's people explicitly commanded to hate their enemies. But the religious leaders added it. They interpreted scripture as, as neighbors being those within their vicinity, within their people group, and those outside of it, those who are different, to be considered enemies. In fact, the, the whole quotation there is an oversimplif- oversimplification of what the scriptures actually said. Because the command, you shall love your neighbor, is missing as you love yourself. That omission lowers the bar of loving your neighbor, doesn't it? As much as you love yourself, you should love your neighbor. But without as, as you love yourself, it just becomes love your neighbor minimally. And then the addition of hate your enemy is an active hostility towards those who are other than you, who are different than you. And this led to a lot of line drawing in the sand. Israelites became very kind to fellow Israelites, but they were not nice. They were mean towards foreigners. They excluded them. They forgot about them. And at the same time, those who were good religious Jews hated on those who seemed like bad religious Jews, which is why there was a severe Uh, separation of the the religious leaders and then tax collectors and other sinners. Uh, I've I've probably shared this a little too much, but I'm born and raised from New York City, and I'm a New York Yankee fan. (laughs) And 
just by virtue of whoever was clapping, I love you a little bit more. And those who hesitated or booed, it's, it's this natural thing. No one teaches us to love our neighbor and hate our... It, it's just in us. Even if I'm driving and someone cuts me off and they have like a New York Yankee license plate cover, I'm like, oh yeah, you could cut me off. You know? <laughs> but if it's a Red Sox license plate cover, oh, I need to get this person back. It's like no one has to teach you how to do this. This, uh, this word hate there in verse 43, it can actually mean uh, active hate, to detest something, or it can be a passive hatred to disregard it. It can be active hostility or passive indifference. So instead of this command, what does Jesus tell us to do? Verse 44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies. This is the command. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And there's no question about it. Jesus wants his followers to love instead of hate. Jesus shows the heart behind the Old Testament scriptures, the commands that they've misinterpreted, and he wants to get to the heart of it. Here, Jesus clarifies that the command to love your neighbor includes enemies. Neighbor includes enemies. On top of that, it means praying for the people who persecute you. Uh, the word enemy there is a, a general term that can refer to people who are hostile towards you or people that you're hostile towards. So this can include personal en- enemies, political enemies, societal en- enemies, and even spiritual enemies. Who might be some of your enemies today? With whom do you experience hostility in your relationship? Your enemy might be a personal enemy, right? A coworker, maybe your boss, maybe a classmate, maybe an ex-roommate, maybe your current roommate. If you're sitting next to them, don't look. Um, maybe an ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend. Maybe even a family member who has hurt you in the past. Your enemy might be a political or societal enemy. Someone with whom you have hostility because of your ethnicity. Because of your affiliations. Because of the groups that you belong to. And your enemy might be a spiritual enemy. You might legitimately have people who persecute you for what you believe. People who have made fun of you for standing up for your faith. And some of you might have more enemies than you think because, again, that hatred can be a disregard. Who have you disregarded around you? Who have you passively been indifferent towards in your vicinity? Who do you hate on? And who hates on you? Whoever they are, Jesus says, love them. There's no qualifications in Jesus' command. He's, there's no terms and conditions. There's no, if he does this, if she does that, then you can hate. No, it's just love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Bible scholar Frederick Dale Bruner writes this. In this command, Jesus first frees our behavior, first of all, frees our behavior from calculations. We worry about how warm to be 
to the hostile or undeserving, how much we ought to love certain people, whom to love unconditionally, and whom to love conditionally. Jesus' command wants to abolish such distinctions. Disciples are to love even enemies unconditionally. This is a real liberation. Jesus knows that when love no longer has to wait on the performance of others, an immense transformation has taken place. We want to ask all of the questions of what if, right? What if this person is that way? What if this person treats me this way? And behind it all is a desire to show minimum love to others. So instead of hating on our enemies and persecutors, we are called to love them and pray for them. And that, that word in the, in the verse is uh, agape love. Agape love is often described as unconditional love. It's, it's warm love. Warm love that uh, is shared in intimate relationships. And Jesus tells us that we are to show warm love to our enemies. Uh, British uh, late pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones describes this love in this way. Christ said, love your enemies, not like your enemies. Now, liking is something which is more natural than loving. We are not liking, well, we, we are not calling upon, we are not called upon, excuse me, to like everybody, and we cannot do so, but we can be commanded to love. What God commands is that we should love a man or woman and treat him as if we do like him. Love is much more than a feeling or sentiment. Love in the New Testament is very practical, and love is active. If, therefore, we find we do, not, we do not like certain people, we need not be worried by that, so long as we are treating them as if we did like them. That is loving, and it is the teaching of our Lord everywhere in Scripture. How do you treat the people you like, and how do you treat the people that you don't like? Treat your enemies as if you like them. The command is unambiguous, love your enemies. The second, so we have the command, now Jesus gives us the motivation. We must love our enemies because we are the children of God. We must love our enemies because we are the children of God. If you profess with your words, with your actions, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then this command is for you. Beyond the fact that Jesus does not beat around the bush, make conditions about this love, Jesus shows us that there is something distinctly heavenly, distinctly divine when followers of Jesus love their enemies. Verse 44 to 45 reads like this, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. So that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. We must love our enemies and pray for our persecutors because through doing so, we become more and more like the children of God. He has designed us to be. He has, he has always wanted us to be. Uh, last night, I went out to eat dinner with one of my friends for her birthday, and um, she has three kids. And we started to talk about resemblances. You know, oh, like uh, the firstborn's eyes kind of look like uh, daddies, and, and the, the nose of the secondborn looks like uh, the mom, and, and the, the last one, I have no idea, you know, and, but we expect 
children to resemble their parents. It's just the natural expectation. There, there's something that gets passed on from spiritual parents onto, not spiritual parents, physical parents onto uh, their biological children. And in the same way, there are specific traits that get passed on from God. God the Father, God the Son, onto the children of God. And Jesus here is saying that, that one of the important resemblances that we should have is love for our enemies. In a way, Jesus is saying if you love your enemies, it is proof that you are indeed a son or daughter of your heavenly Father. And it is at this point that it could be very discouraging, doesn't it? Love for your enemies is proof that you are a son or daughter of God. For many of us, we don't want to love our enemies. We want the wrath of everything to fall upon our enemies. We want our enemies to be crushed. We want to hate on them. We want harm to befall them. We want our enemies to experience misery. We want to throw curses at our enemies. And we even want God to curse them and condemn them. And that's why this command is really, it really is an impossible command if we do it on our own strength. This past week, as I was preparing, I bumped into a young adult uh, who found out that I was preaching, and then uh, she asked, oh, what's the the topic on? And I said, oh, love your enemy. And she kind of got silent. And she's like, gosh, these topics are so hard through this series. And I I couldn't agree with her anymore. The Sermon on the Mount leads us to a radical life. It's a, a life that's countercultural. It's a life that's uncomfortable. It's a life that we cannot do on our own. Every message in this series can be a discouragement. It can be if it were not for Christ. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaches it because he wants so badly for God's will to be seen and done in us and through us here on earth. And the only way, the only way we could ever follow any of these commands, let alone this command to love our enemies, is to look at God. We have to, have to look at God. In verse 45, Jesus continues and says, For he, for God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And Jesus tells his listeners that we should love our enemies because God himself shows grace to his enemies. The sun rises from the east on both who honor him and those who dishonor him. The rain falls on those who love God and those who hate God. God shows common grace to the unrepentant and the repentant in hopes that everyone would come to know him. And especially if we consider, if we call ourselves Christians, people who have been born again into this new life, then we must remember, we get to look back on Scripture and we get to see in hindsight that we were once enemies of God as well. In Romans 5, verse 10, it says, For if while we were enemies, that's the same word that's used in Matthew 5, 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Any spiritual blessing that you receive today as a believer, as a follower, is a result of having been an enemy and having your heart transformed to become a child. And that's a work that you did nothing to gain. That was all Jesus. All Jesus by coming down, living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins and made freely available to you and is still available freely to anybody who would profess their faith in in him. And the Son of God doesn't just give a hard command to his people. He gives a command, lives it out, and equips us to follow suit. Jesus goes out to live this command to its fullest degree, even to the point of death. So that we would no longer be hostile and be enemies to God, and that we would become like his children. We would become increasingly like his children. And this is our great motivation. We cannot love our enemies on our own. I debated whether to share this, but I'll share it. Um, Without divulging uh, too much, um, I went through a falling out with somebody in, in my family. And I hated this person, like, legitimately despised everything I was said before, like, I wanted harm to befall on them, I want them to be separated from God, and uh, this was someone who, you know, serves at church and actually has a role, and I would go to sleep asking God why this person was still alive, and I would wake up asking God why that this person is still alive, and that's, that's how much I hated this person. And I saw how much damage it did to me. The people around me saw how much damage it did to me. And through the prayer and support of a lot of different people, I was encouraged to, to, to try to love them. That was my responsibility before God, to love this person. I, didn't, I, I probably will never like this person, to be honest. But my responsibility before God is to love this person. And I went through the process of trying to forgive And through that, you know who benefited? Not this person who I had a falling out with. Even to this day, I have not heard an apology, even though I apologized. But I benefited. I looked at my whole situation, and I was able to see that what happened in Jesus, I got to experience in a small form. That I was an enemy just like this person was to me. When we love our enemies, we become more like the children of God. We become more like Jesus. We get to experience the love of the Father in us and through us. In verses 46 to 47, uh, Jesus asks rhetorical questions here, and he doesn't hold back the punches. He says, For if you love those who love you, What reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus calls out everyone who doesn't show costly love. He makes sure that we don't confuse showing favoritism to the people who are nice to us as divine love, as as the love of God. Jesus uses these rhetorical questions to awaken us to the fact that love of enemies is of a completely different category than liking the people that are similar to us, liking the people that we agree with. Loving our enemies is of a different quality. And in verse 47, that, that word right there, what more are you doing? It's the Greek word, perisas, and it means extraordinary. What extraordinary thing are you doing than others? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we've been quoting him a lot. He describes this as peculiar love, strange love. It's love that is remarkable. It's abundant and it's profuse. Love that is above and beyond what is expected. It's love that is abnormal. Love that is unsolicited. Love that's excessive. Extraordinary love. Have you ever experienced love like that? When I went to college my first year, I um, had zero intention of going to church. I I was a worship leader in my youth group, and I said, you know what, I went to church because my parents made me. Uh, I also got sick of people in the church. And I said, you know what, I'm going to start over. I'm going to live life the way I want to. I'm not going to go to church. So I went to the University of Illinois. I got placed in a dorm hall where, I kid you not, maybe four or five out of like the ten rooms across the hall, they were all church leaders. <laughs> like juniors and seniors who are leading small group. And I, I was a New Yorker. Um, everyone had their dorm rooms open, like, like unlocked all day, all night. Like my roommate and I, we're both from New York, we're like, click. <laughs> um, and these guys, they came to my door like during orientation, only freshmen are supposed to be there during orientation. They came, knocked, and they're like, hey, there's this uh, event. Uh, it's, it's called How to Survive at U of I. I was like, how to survive? Are you trying to haze me? Like, um, and they were so nice. They made me so uncomfortable. Uh, I, my roommate was with me, and I told him, I was like, hey, I, I don't know if they're a cult. I, I think they're like, trying to get me. Um, like, you have to come with me. You have to come with me. And these guys, they were genuinely just profusely nice. Uh, and I tested them because I was really suspicious. Um, I remember one time, I really wanted to see if they, they would get angry at me. So um, in Illinois, they have these glorious things called 24-hour super Walmarts. And I went into the, one of the, the, the junior guys, church leader's room, three in the morning. I like kicked the door open. I was like, hey, I want to go to Walmart right now. No complaining. He got up. He couldn't even like open his eyes. He's like putting on his clothes. He's like, yeah, let's go right now. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, like there's something wrong with you. There's something so wrong with you. That's what I thought. 
But, you know, later, like the fruit of their labor, it proved. Like they just did it out of a love for me. Could they have known that God, that I wanted to run away from God my freshman year in college? They could have never known that. And because of those guys, honestly, I'm not saying this to be over the top, but I don't think I would be in ministry if those guys didn't pursue me. I don't think I would be standing here preaching before you. And it's this more love, this perisas love, this extraordinary love that does something to one another. And that's what God wants us to show to each other. When we receive this extraordinary love, we experience the presence of God. We will be too busy thanking God to hate our enemies. We'll be too busy looking for outlets to love on others. We'll be too busy to be prideful to think that we are better than our enemies. And we'll be too busy realizing that we were once enemies to God and that God wants our enemies to be reconciled to him too. And those who have really tried to love their enemies will know the love of God. Find those people, even in Cornerstone. Hear their stories. Praise God with them. And if you're not yet a believer, we're so glad that you're here. My prayer is that you experience this love, like weird love, you know, love that makes you uncomfortable. And I pray that Cornerstone, we would show that type of love out of an earnestness to see God glorified, to, see, to, to let people know that God is not distant. We need to stop making excuses. And an important thing is that loving our enemy does not disregard what has happened to us, what we feel, the emotions that, that we have towards our enemies. There's nowhere in Scripture that's, that disregards that. But Jesus here is saying, look at what's far better. Love of enemies allows you to become more and more like the son and daughter of God that we have always wanted, needed, and we're always designed to be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship, he, he says this, the love for our enemies takes us along the way, to, way of the cross and into, the fellowship, into fellowship with the crucified. The love for our enemies takes us along the way of the cross and into fellowship with the crucified. The more we are driven along this road, the more certain is the victory of love over the enemy's hatred. For then it is not the disciples' own love, but the love of Jesus Christ alone, who for the sake of his enemies went to the cross and prayed for them as he hung there. This command is not an easy one. Let's fully admit that. We will not obey it perfectly. And this, showing this love will be difficult. But praise to God that we don't have to do it alone. We have divine help. And we also should be helping one another show this love to our enemies. We have Jesus who did not merely give us a difficult command. He also shows us what it looks like. He goes to the cross, provides us with every resource we need in order to obey this command out of a deep desire for us to become his sons and daughters.
And isn't this the type of love that this world needs right now? It's this, is it this type of love that this world is desperate for. They don't know it, but they're desperate for it. It's this extraordinary, this peculiar love that needs to go out and melt cold hearts. It's this extravagant love that needs to go out and calm and cool the fire of rage. It's the illogical love, love that doesn't make sense, expressed through God's people that will cause people to come face to face with the living God. And it's this love that will transform us and, and hopefully all his enemies into his children. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time to submit ourselves under your word. And this word is not an easy one. Uh, and we thank you that it, it's in there. Because if it weren't in there, we would live a little too comfortably. We would not live in a way that matters for eternity. So we thank you that the word is not just words of comfort, but also words of challenge. And we also thank you for the privilege and the honor and the opportunity for us to become your children and also represent you into this world. For some of us, we have been scared to represent you in this world. And we ask that you would forgive us for that, but at this time that you would empower us that when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, is not a heavy burden. It's a command that comes with the fact that the command giver is also the one who provides everything we need in order to obey it. So we pray for the Holy Spirit to empower us even at this time as we consider maybe some of the enemies that pop up into our minds. Even if we can't like them, that we will love them. And the, possibly the, the strongest expression of that love is to pray for them. We pray that even without our enemies knowing that we would walk them in prayer to the foot of the cross, that they would come to encounter you, that they would experience that extraordinary love. Make us more and more into the sons and daughters of the living God for your glory, for your namesake. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.